This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for our personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in the aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are Capitalizers, and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. As always, I'm your host, Christopher A. Paniochi, the Cap and Capitalize. And today, we have a very special guest, my good friend, Carl Cox. He is the CEO of 40 Strategy, host of the Measure Success podcast, and author of the brand new book that you gotta snag today, Lost at CEO. Carl, welcome to the show. Chris, it is a privilege, an honor. I'm so excited. We we talked while back we're like we got to do the show yes. and i'm just thrilled to be on today yeah it's it's crazy too because it's been i think oh, a little over a year and that is totally my fault i'm throwing myself under the bus uh but we made it happen and we've got a lot to dive in and, and discuss but before we dive into uh the crux of you being the upper echelons of ceo uh diving into your book and your podcast let's take a trip down memory lane and discover what made you fall in love with being a CEO that coaches CEOs? So first of all, being a CEO is an awesome job, but it's also an incredible responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you get to be a CEO, you have this opportunity to make such an awesome difference in the world whether it's through delivering your products or your services that add value, perhaps for you, it's making a lot of money, right? You know, that's part of your goals or perhaps, but what you have is the opportunity to be in control. You can hire great people. You can build great teams. You could put your people together. You could provide for families, right? You know, this is such an awesome opportunity, but one of the weird things that happens when you become a CEO is all of a sudden people don't tell you the truth anymore. And it's this really strange situation. And I learned it for the first time when I, when I became an executive. And the same jokes I was saying as an accounting manager to a controller, to a CFO, and then all of a sudden to an executive, they got funnier and funnier by the moment. The jokes were the same, but they, people wanted to prove that they liked me. And so they laughed at my jokes. And I started realizing, oh, they're telling me what I want to hear not necessarily what the truth is. And so this is the challenge of being a CEO is that CEOs start to learn that. And they learn that people don't tell them truthfully and they also can't disclose everything either, right? They literally have stuff that they can't be quiet with. You know, they can't say the truth with. And so what I love is being to help CEOs deal with that transparency issues, to deal with how it, it is truly lonely at the top. It is a super challenging situation to be on your own and not to have an, an ear that you can talk to and that will call you out but doesn't have skin in the game, meaning you're not paying their salary. Because if you're paying somebody's salary and they're providing for their families respectively, they always will never fully conceal the truth because they have to protect their job, right? right. 
So as a CEO and the only person who generally, even though if you might be paying yourself salary, it's owners or distributions, they are on their own. And, and so I love that. There's something that I love of being the right-hand person for a CEO to get them through those challenges. It's very rewarding. And I love it when, when we work together, they get to new, new levels and, and they get to new areas because they were stuck. Because often it's the people, process, and systems in their life that they're stick with and they're not willing to change. And I help them see that. They already know it, but I help them see it and help make those decisions to get over it. So that's what galvanizes me to work with CEOs. It's, it's tremendously rewarding, but it's also a really difficult and important job. Sure. Well, in, in one of the things you mentioned, uh, one CEO, people tell you, or excuse me, people don't tell you the truth anymore. What struck me with that statement was uh like we have a client who young successful hustling guy runs an awesome business locally and i remember one of these uh meetings we uh, were chatting and i could tell something was up and again just genuinely great dude and once he finally shared it with me you know he's in the dating scene and in, in looking to settle down, start a family. But once these gals found out what he did, at that point he never really knew if they were there for him anymore or what he had. And I feel like that's a huge parallel from the CEO side of things. Um, I can say I'm incredibly blessed. I mean, I don't really consider myself a CEO. It's me and my, my teammate, Betty. But nonetheless, I'm incredibly best to have an amazing relationship uh, with her. But I hear a lot of those people where it's that same parallel where you don't know if someone is there genuinely for you or for the title or what they think you have. So I wasn't really going anywhere with that. I just found it absolutely fascinating. And for you, you've not just been a CEO. You've been a CFO. You've been a controller. But even before all of that, so after college... After going to University of Washington, you worked at Go Dogs. Go Dogs. Okay. Thank let's, you. Let's Thank little, you, Chris. Can you say that? Here. Can you repeat that? Yeah. Well, properly? I will say the good news is it's firmly in the off season by the time this releases, and so we can just forget about 2022. But but I digress. You worked at PwC uh, before jumping headfirst into the world of. Uh, being an executive. And so what were some of the most valuable lessons that you learned at your tenure at one of the big four? Well, even dating myself a bit, back when I was there, it was originally Coopers and Libran. Oh, okay. And it was the big, it was the big six back then. Okay, sure. so the, back then there was Coopers and Libran, Price and Arthur Anderson, who of course went out of business you know, with the Enron scandal. And so, um, but Pricewaterhouse and Coopers and Libran merged together. And that was my first job. I was an audit side at uh, a graduate from University of Washington. I ended up going back to school back down. At, uh, sorry, started at Coopers at Portland. And one of the most interesting things I learned was this is UW actually is a great accounting department school, very well known. I learned more in that first six months than I learned in four years of school. Sure. When you work 500 hours of overtime, <clears throat> you learn about hard work and ethics. So that's the first thing. You learn about working hard. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you learn the, you learn the importance of getting a second set of eyes to make sure that the work that you're doing has high quality. 
I had no idea. Here I thought I had this accounting degree and I end up, I'm writing most of the time. And not only that, my writing is getting critiqued. Back in those days, this is like right in the process of when they're changing from literally handwritten to computers. In the original days, there would be red from the senior, and then there would be blue from the manager, and then there'd be green from the partner. And you might get all three comments in different colors based on how poorly you wrote something. I tell you what, when you are getting corrected over and over again, you learn so quickly about trying to do it the right way the first time and actually adding real value. So the two key things I learned there was, was one is work ethic mm -hmm. and two, you know, learning and trusting others to help make sure that the work you're producing is right. I don't know about you today. You know, it's interesting when you, when you don't have so many people working around you, we presume everything we get out is true. And when you actually have somebody else look and review it, and then you look back at it for yourself for the first time, you recognize, oh, wow, that needed a lot of work. It needed to be a lot better. And so those were what I'd say the two things that I learned that were was surprising and something I've been able to take for the rest of my career through that. Sure. Well, and you mentioned you were on the audit side, which is interesting because as a coach of specific people, and I, you're not supposed to assume because we know what that means, but... Um, I would have assumed on the tax side, because generally speaking, tax side CPA is a little bit more personable, okay, less quirky. But on the audit side, did that help you? Obviously, it helped from a 50,000 foot point look at the businesses, okay? Um, but did that help you kind of uh, figure out that there was one more step? Because I see a lot of people when they audit businesses, they go, okay, they look at the numbers, but they don't relate it to, okay, it's it's the people that are causing these numbers to, to work. Um, and so, you know, was that the first step for you to be able to differentiate? Okay, I know there's a big issue from the top, whatever that means, but now because I'm a personal guy, because you are, I want to start diving into the actual CEOs or CFOs or controllers that are causing this. Does that make sense? It does, Chris, and I'm going to share a story that will hopefully be able to re relate, connect with this. So first of all, when I was getting recruited from the, the big six firms back then, they were, oh, we're doing business assurance. So you get this feeling you're doing something like really special yeah. and you get excited about that. Wow, I'm doing business assurance. And, and so then you go in and I remember being at my first client and there was a 50, well, of course, somebody is now my, my age, but they seemed really old back then. You know, so here I'm this 22 year old, you know, wet behind the ears, you know, kid, and and I'm talking to this quote unquote 50 year old accounts payable person, and their entire neck is blotchy red. Yeah. Because why? They are scared that I'm gonna find something that they did wrong. Sure. They're they're literally afraid that the work that they've been doing all year long that I'm gonna find an error in their work, and then I also recognize they hate me. I mean, as much, as much, not, not me personally, yeah, right. but they hate the audit and that I'm representing the audit. Now, I generally had good relationships with my clients because that's how you get the information, right? It's people who made these decisions through the systems that ultimately may have created an error in what they were doing. But it was a, a wide-eyed moment. And honestly, it was one of the reasons I didn't stay in audit for very long was because I recognized they didn't want me there. They just wanted me to get in and out, give them a clean opinion, 
and walk away. It it was a necessary evil that they needed for either publicly traded companies or privately traded companies for financing. That's why an audit exists. It doesn't exist because of business insurance. You're adding no value. Well, every once in a while you got to add some value, but it was rare. You know, they didn't want to hear it. They just wanted to make sure the audit got done and you got out of there. Yeah, well, I I will say um, in, in... I can't imagine anyone ever hating you, but I can say I have yet to meet someone that's like, oh my gosh, I'm going through an audit. This is going to be so much fun. I've never heard that. Okay. Um, Now, after PwC, okay, you gained all this experience. You danced around um, with companies both in the controller role as well as CEO. So being at these various companies, what were some of the common themes that you saw that were being done incorrectly? Mm. So the first decade of my career was on the finance side. Yeah, from remember I was getting recruited. I kept on back then. It was it was I would get a call. I felt like every few weeks, and it was like, oh, do you want to make five ten thousand dollars more? I was like, well, absolutely. <laughs> so so it was like you kept on getting these opportunities, and and that's why I kept on getting recruited to go to new places. And when I was with a publicly traded company for five years, that's when I learned probably the most. And, and once again, hard work ethic, making sure you get the right numbers, get it out right, because SEC reporting, this is really important. And matter of fact, I actually had to put in the first Sarbanes-Oxley event related to that Enron failure back you know, a few years before. Wow. And so, so that was one of the worst, most painful. Matter of fact, I was like, I never want to work with a public tra- traded company again, because it was, it was such a miserable experience going through that and, and forcing people, like literally back, well, you still can, you can go to jail now, for improperly telling something to do. That was not the case prior to Sabrens Oxley. You know, rarely, you know, would it be done. And this is like for theoretically a honest mistake. And and so the challenges were there really there. But what I learned was what really bothered me was that in this publicly traded company, there was and I saw this actually with privately held companies as well, there'd be this desire to share with the public or with the shareholders or the board, we're gonna we're gonna our numbers are going to be 10x this year. Okay, let, let's just for argument's sake say they're going to grow 30%. Okay. Well, that 30%, nearly everybody internally knew it was not going to happen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And they would say it anyways. And, and in even worse cases, like in the, and I think maybe they believed it. But what I learned was anytime you set really big numbers and you don't meet them, your integrity is on the line. Mm-hmm. You're literally lying to people when you don't consistently hit numbers. This is why CFOs don't, when they don't last at publicly traded companies, if they don't hit their numbers, they lack integrity. And the management team lacks integrity when they're not hitting it. So what I learned is, is in t- when you talk outside, you better set numbers that you can beat. I don't care what it is. You better beat that number. Mm-hmm internally you set higher numbers because it's okay if you fail but you never fail below the outside numbers that you're going to provide and you set your bonuses based on more hitting the higher numbers right because you want to create incentive to beat to win and so that's what i learned is is setting expectations setting them the right way and there's no value telling people externally that you could hit a number that you won't end up hitting sure well, in, in speaking of setting expectations, I mean, shoot, I, I hear you on that loud and clear. I can speak for myself. I mean, I remember first getting into 
what I do on, on the planning side. And I had these goals for, you know, in three years, I'm going to be overseeing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I would never admit it back then, but looking back at it, it's like, gosh, you were such an idiot because the numbers were just, they were obscene. And even if they weren't even public, personally, you set the, you're, you're essentially setting yourself up for failure unless you are quirky enough to just like turn that into a larger fire and level up or whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I've heard a lot of people say from a number standpoint, okay, we're going <laughs> to, I mean, if someone came up to me and said, we're going to increase by 30% and they've been doing this for over a decade, it's like, dude, what are you, what are you on? So, but again, we're not here. We're not here to judge. So no, well, Chris, let me, let me just challenge, say something to expand on that is that I think there's a difference between your quarterly numbers or your next year's numbers that you're, you're held to, right? This is your budget. This is your quarter. This is what people from the street expect you to hit, or this is what you've told your investors or bankers. That's one thing. But when you're setting longer term goals, I actually a big believer in setting stretch goals. Sure. 10 year, five year, three year goals. 10-year goals should be 51% likelihood of happening. Three-year goals, 70% likelihood. The reason is you will not change. You cannot hit those goals without changing the people, the processes, the systems around you. And so to change them, you have to force goals that are out of your comfort zone. And that's what helps you grow. So so I, just to clarify, I'm okay, there is an okay to failing the longer-term goals, but it's not okay to... Sh- hit miss the shorter term goals the two different purposes right well and so you know catapulting off of you know you were at these companies you saw either these super high metrics that were simply just not only unachievable but just borderline ridiculous or for whatever reason maybe it wasn't a culture fit and you saw all this value so was there a specific time or or a moment or person that got you inspired to launch what is now 40 Strategy? So 40 Strategy was a process of my life that it ended up getting created. And, and I'm gonna walk through a little bit, Chris, just so, because um, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, I wanna, I wanna start a new business. I wanna go off on my own. And, and by the way, I'm a huge sport. I love entrepreneurs, I love CEOs, I love people that are willing to take the risk, take the leap, right, to do something that's crazy. So I love that. However, doing it the right way, being a calculated risk taker, as opposed to just jumping on an airplane without a chute or the classic, oh, we're just going to build the airplanes, we're flying. That's foolish. You're going to die. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, you hear these things, oh, we're just building our, well, if you had an unlimited venture capital funds, perhaps you could do that. But even those, as we've learned, end up drying up, you know, the current market. There are times when those things run out. And so how I got to it was I was, I was really, and it's funny because I wanted to be a, a consultant again. Um, there was, what I didn't tell you, Chris, is I also ended up having a tax consulting business where I actually had 35 clients. And my goal then was to teach and coach. I was actually there to supplement my income while I went back to teaching and coaching, uh, coaching high school football and, and teaching history. That was actually yeah. a period in my life I was heading there. And then I ended up getting involved in operations and traveling around the world and doing the business. But what happens was I was with, involved with two companies in particular over a 12-year period where they were Fortune 500 executives and they taught me how to do strategic planning execution the right way. 
So I, I've been with seven different companies that have tripled in size or more. And for me, it's normal. So actually these crazy audacious goals, big, hairy, and audacious goals is sometimes written by Jim Collins, the book that's behind me, A Good to Great. I do believe in them mm-hmm. for the long term. And you help build in the short run these actions to help get to there. So I learned how to do these things. And then with one of my companies, we were tracking our strategy so much. We were spending so much time just doing administrative work. We found a better way of doing it. It was this company called Cascade Strategy based out of Australia. We found that company. And literally the first call said, not only do I want to buy your software, but can we invest in you? I literally said that call. So Mike Fritz, former CEO at DD Fritz, he said, hey, um, we formed a separate company. And on the side, I started moonlighting while I had this full-time EVP operations sure, <laughs> job, sure. CFO type job, f- actually became the Northwest distributor and then the U.S. distributor and then the America's distributor, sold a deal to Johnson Johnson, convinced the family, convinced Mike. I said, I think I want to run it instead of somebody else running it. This company grew from 50 clients to 350 clients in three years, um, became 50% of the global business. This was the surprising part, Chris. I thought everybody was good at strategic plan and execution, and I found out that nearly everybody is terrible at it. Matter of fact, 90%, 90% of people fail to hit two-thirds of their strategic objectives. Hmm. So I didn't know this going in, and so people were buying our software like they were buying a Peloton bike, thinking that by them just buying it and putting it in their house, they're going to lose weight while it just becomes an expensive towel rack, mm-hmm. right? So that's the reality of most people. This is why exercise equipment comes and goes in fads because people don't do the work. Well, that was happening with strategic planning software. They're buying it, but they didn't understand strategy. They didn't design their plans well. So I started giving free consulting, literally free consulting with the company. Why? Is because I wanted to keep our clients. Mm-hmm. So I started giving do free, and then finally they started paying for it. And I was with a client down in Arizona, and. Uh, two hours in the meeting, he pulled me aside and said, Carl, you know, I would have paid you $10,000 just for that last two hours you spent with us. And I was like, what? Like nobody ever offered to pay me $10,000 just for two hours of work. And he was like, no, really, I would have paid you that. And that this is the funny part. They weren't even basically paying that for the entire software for the year. <laughs> the value of just we were describing and then helping them understand how to design a strategic plan the right way and how to actually execute it so I did this more and more and more. Eventually, Tom Wright, the CEO out of Australia, said, Carl, why don't you now run my global consulting unit? Create it. Build it. And it was a really tempting offer. But I still had two kids. I have four kids. Two kids were still in high school. And I was like, I'm going to miss the rest of their sporting careers. I'm not going to see, see them around because I have to be gone 80% of the time globally. And so I politely declined it. And that's how 40 Strategy got opened. So January 2020, I opened the doors. And uh, that's, that's how we got created. But the biggest challenge was none of that. It was my wife. Okay. 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 So she was done on my entrepreneur stuff. Here she's going, hey, we got a kid in college. We got two kids in college, actually, at that point. Two more coming in. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't have time for this entrepreneur funny duddy stuff where you're not, you know, I need you to make money, right. basically. Right. And we had the biggest fight we've ever had in our life, Chris. We've been married over 25 years, and it was the biggest fight of our life. And um, fortunately, through a lot of, uh, it was bad. It was really bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but fortunately, I was able to agree. And, and this is the cool part. Within two months, I was making more 
than I had in my entire life. That's awesome. Now, why, though? It wasn't because I just jumped out of an airplane that I had built. I've been doing this for 15, 12 plus the three years at Cascade, 15 years I've been doing strategic planning and execution at a high level. So literally people came to me because they're like, oh, can you help me do the same thing you've been doing throughout your career? And so it became an easy result, um, but it was 15 years of experience in an executive level that got me there. It wasn't this, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, I just wanted to run a company. Right, right. So it was clearly extremely gradual. It was not a, you know, jump up. And, and that's been something that's been really fascinating. Um, the guests that we've had on, I would say 90%, and it doesn't matter where they're from, whether it was, um, you know, Adam Cecil, um, who is an amazing investor, or uh, Nick Hutchison from Book Thinkers, or Fahim Anwar, the comedian. Like, it was very calculated and it was very gradual and then it just it appeared it was just it was it was very magical now once you started 40 strategy obviously we got through the fight you're still happily married um you uh you had this income coming in what were some of the original plans that stayed true and then also what were some of the plans that you had to change So early on, we set a 10-year vision, and, and I'm a big believer in that. And so it's, it's a positively impact a million people, 10,000 organizations, and 100 organizations directly. And, and we also have the goal of giving the first 10% of our revenues to charity with the goal of giving at least a million dollars to charity in the next decade. Awesome. That stayed consistent. Okay. And, and the other thing that we do is we help organizations, once again, design their strategic plans, and then we help keep them accountable to get it done. That stayed consistent. What's a surprised me is I didn't expect to do as much executive coaching that I've, I've done. That's where some of the clients have found the greatest value. So here I'm thinking, that I think there's one of the things that's really interesting in the market. People think you're going to serve and do something, but you have to serve what the market wants. Mm -hmm. and, and I found that the coaching side is what actually has been a significant appreciation because like, wow, I want to learn what he's learned and help accelerate my way to get to there. And just to let you know, Chris, I hire coaches too, mm -hmm. right? It's part of what I do because I want to make sure I can accelerate my own business, 40 strategy, to be faster and grow more than I could on my own. So that's kind of been the surprising thing here. I thought I was just going to be working with designing and executing strategic plans with companies, but they're like, no, no, there's more to what you've done. I, I've been fortunate. I've, I've managed every functional department in a company, meaning from sales, marketing, operations, manufacturing, technical support. I've literally have managed every single one. I can't do them, just to let you know. I mean, I, don't ask me to fix your computer sure. unless you want me to tell you to turn it on and off. Sure. Like, I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I am, I, but I've managed them all, and so I have enough information to be dangerous to understand two things. One, how to design the plan well, but B, if something's wrong, I could usually identify who we should bring in sure. to help fix that problem, because I can't fix all problems once again. And so it helps me be even more effective or more valuable for the executives. Because a lot of times when we're talking through, we're talking through these scenarios of growth and challenges and hiring people and designing new teams and getting through it and all that stuff. That's, the, that's what I would say has been the surprising thing that's happened is, is the more value I've been able to become a Gallup Strengths Finder coach through it. 
I didn't expect to do that, Chris. Sure. But my client wanted it. And so I did it and it's added value. Sure. Capitalizers, this episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. Regardless of where you're at in your financial life, whether you're just beginning to express interest and commitment to your personal finances, at the pinnacle of your career, winding down into retirement, or thinking about your legacy for future generations, this book walks you through every step of the way so you can succeed on your terms and with your own values and passions guiding you. After reading this book, you will officially have Christopher A. Paniotu, the cap in capitalize, in your back pocket, guiding you in detail through every step of the way so that you can take charge of your finances, not the other way around. Head on over to Amazon.com today and start capitalizing your finances to the fullest with this incredible book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. And now, back to the episode. Well, and I can tell you, you're probably even better with computers than I am because you can at least turn on and off. Actually, right before we had you on, uh, we had a little debacle in the Pontio 2 powerhouse uh, because I had to update my computer and then it just wasn't. And I got the triple orange dot of death. I had to get on my phone, YouTube. Like it was, it was a oh. chore. So I would gladly put you in the computer sector over me any day but i digress i digress you set a low bar chris yeah <laughs> well the bar the bar was set on the floor and then some okay so so other than the fight with your wife which i'm not going to keep bringing up uh but but it does pertain to my next question i had what were some of the most difficult times that you have had in your career with 40 strategy and how did you turn the ship around and overcome that ultimate failure of your business closing because you also said you started in january of 2020 yes sir all so right. you know what that was yes okay enlighten us my man so, all right so i was killing it right so started out and i'm like <laughs> you know what kind of okay, cruising you know this is easy yes. this is easy Chris. yes and um yeah i was i was as i said i was i was blown away by how quickly the business started literally had three clients right away with retainers it was like bang 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 and guess what happened? COVID, mm -hmm. right? Right. And it, it just, so first of all, I was traveling around the United States, meeting with my clients. You were, travel went away. You couldn't, you couldn't go to places. And any of you were willing, people weren't willing to see you. Sure. So that stops. Secondly, one of my clients is Long Beach Transit. Well, nobody's riding the bus anymore, so we don't need your strategic planning help anymore. Right. So right. That, that goes away, right? So big client right there, boom, boom gone. Um, I remember doing a webinar in May of that year, in April, sorry. It was with Mark Fister, um, and we were he's based out of New York. And we had, I don't know, 35 people show up to the webinar. And we thought we crushed it, nailed it, you know, just, hey, this is awesome, incredible value we created here. I sent off an email to all 35 or so odd attendees. Monday I show up, and not one person has responded. <laughs> Not one. Yeah. Not, not one. Yeah. Chris, I got down on my knees over here. Yeah. And I, I had that come to Jesus moment, so to speak. You know, I, I, I got down and, and I pray and I'm like, hey, if this is supposed to happen, the man of the, you know, the sky, you know, let it be or let it not be. And what was really interesting for that moment, it actually 
started to come back on track again. Okay. And but I, I hit I hit I hit rock bottom. I, I told you I gave the first ten percent of my revenues to charity. I gave more in charities. Got it. In Got May it. than I had in revenue. Oh. So ninety percent decline in revenue. Sure. I had. Sure. Okay. So sure. right doing the math. But it it came back and and um, the only difference was it's interesting. I started traveling actually relatively soon on planes. Um, but somebody said something that was really fun on on the internet. Once again, on LinkedIn, I'm relatively big on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Relative is, a, is a, the right term. And somebody said something awesome. I loved it. They just said, "Hey, just add value." Sure. Right. Sometimes we're doing things that we're thinking we're out of value. I go back to, we think we're adding value, but what only is value is what somebody's willing to pay for. And until you could figure out what somebody is willing to pay for, for what you do or what products you're delivering or what services you provide, you are not creating any value in the world. And, and that's when, that's when things really started to hit and it grew back again. But there was a, once again, a two, three month period of time within 40 strategy. It was, wow, do I have to pull out the old CPA and, and, and go back to doing taxes and yeah. again? You know, it was. It was a tough period. Yeah. Well, and, and for you, because um, that's, if it was any other period of time, I wouldn't even be asking this, but because you started at that specific time, which you could actually argue was both the best and worst time to start a business all in all, how, so when you turned it around, was it just you went all in on like these virtual webinars? Were you just calling up all of your, well, maybe both of your existing clients? Um, like, like, what did you do? Because it sounds like January, March, April, you're on your knees praying to Jesus. And then probably like June-ish, which is I think yeah. when we actually connected around that period. Yeah. That's when I started yeah. my LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Was that when it peak to trough that's very financial yeah. but that's what no, 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 no it's appropriate yeah that's 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 when it started turning around and what what i didn't do is i didn't stop and, and actually matter of fact i was doing a lot of webinars during that period of time and i was i was practicing what i was preaching i was saying you know as a business the worst thing you could do is just hunker down and hope that is not a good strategy right sure. you know you're just hoping the bomb doesn't get you next What's important is to develop a plan and to execute on the plan. And even if it's a 30-day plan, just start working it. 90-day mm -hmm. plan, 100-day, you know, that was a lot of what I was, I was preaching and practicing myself was doing a lot of short-term action-oriented goals to create connections, still be present, and not to be afraid. You know, there was a lot of fear because I went to August <laughs> – in August, I went to um, Florida with our family. And, you know, back then you could not, well, unless you wanted to get an argument, you know, I, I'd every once in a while post things, hey, we went to da -da -da, sure. right? You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, well, you couldn't post anything back then. Right. You couldn't, you couldn't post anything. It was like, so we were on this like secret mission to go to Florida. My dad used to live there, so we used to go in this particular area. Now, this is the funny part, and I'm not mentioning what my political affiliation is, just to clarify, okay? So I'm actually independent. Sure. Well, I'll say that. I already told you it, so sure. there it is. But we go there, and it's like 
a Republican convention. It was the funniest thing in the world. And not just a, like a Trump convention. Sure. There, there was not a Democrat in sight. Sure. <laughs> it, was, it was the most funny, independent political observation I've ever seen. Like every single person there was in, it was, and once again, I'm independent. I didn't vote, sure. you know, for other one people, but this is, was an interesting observation. It was so fascinating sure. that the, the people, the, the, what people were doing, it was so much based on their political beliefs. Yes. Also, I think it's, on so their much, fear. I think it's funny when you're like back then and it's like, it's not that long ago. I mean, it was two and a half years. Yeah, about yeah, but but it but it feels like dog years. It does. You know? I mean, yes. that's like twenty one years ago. Yes, that is very that's very true. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but keep going. No, no, that, I think that's all I, I want to share on that. But it was just it was just a, a fascinating time, and um, you know, it was it was about being able to do the right things to make a difference, and it did. It, it picked back up, and and um, since then, I doubled. I doubled uh, 22, sorry, 21, I doubled from 20, and in 22, I doubled from 23. So we've doubled in the past couple of years, and the goal is to double again in, in, in 23. So um, that's how I'm built, and that's how I operate, and I found that I, uh, if you, once again, you practice what you preach, you believe in your, your system and your process, things get done. Well, and that ties into one of our favorite questions that we like to ask on this show. So once you started turning, truly turning, the corner in your business, what were some of those steps that you took to, uh, what we say, capitalize on your finances? So one of the things that uh, I learned from beforehand, but I wasn't fully doing in the past was investing back in myself. Okay. Explain that. Okay. More. So um, a lot of the great speakers from Zig Ziglar and Darren Hardy, more of modern times and, and just different, some of the great, like what I call really good motivators, they would basically say, look, if you're not spending 10% of your salary or revenue back into yourself, mm -hmm. you're not going to grow at the level that you're, you're meant to be. And I really took up the heart. And so I started doing that. I started, I started putting 10% of my revenues into hiring coaches, hiring uh, people to help. And, and that effort, that reinvestment back into the company is what once again accelerated me to instead of fumbling over, you know, instead of fumbling over myself to figure out how to fix the computer, I hired the IT guy to fix it, so to speak, right? Sure. So I did a lot of those things. So like I, one of the things I did was, um, well, I, <laughs> I did mention a little bit, a little, a little bit later was six months later, um, after everything was good again. Right. And I was a great year and, and what, what am I going to do next? Um, my appendix burst. Oh. Okay. As a matter of fact, right close to you is right between, um, Portland and, uh, it was in Centralia, uh, Washington. <laughs> And, and so I'm driving up literally from Portland to Centralia. I've done that drive hundreds of times. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And I've stopped in Centralia like nearly every time, you know, get, get some gas, get us coffee or whatever, yeah. go, to the, go to the bathroom, get a McDonald's, whatever. Sure. Right? Oh, yes, yes. There is a reason why, by the way, there's billions served. Okay. Yeah. I'm one of them. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm okay to admit that. But anyways, yeah. keep moving on. So, so anyways, we're moving forward and I'm like, I got to check into a hotel. I'm not doing well. Uh -huh. And um, 
who checks in a hotel in Centralia, by the way? Nobody does, unless you're doing something wrong, right? Nobody checks in 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So I did check in there, and every hour in the hour, I'm getting wildly sick. And finally at 2 a.m., I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm going to wake up the next hour. And so I go to the hospital, and they're like, oh, yeah, there's something wrong with your appendix. This is like literally when COVID operations got back to happening again. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, we'll get you in this afternoon. Um, finally at 10 a.m., they're like, oh, that's not good. Something's going wrong. I wake up, and they're like, hey, good news, you're going to live. Bad news is um, you're going to be in here a full week because that's the worst burst appendix I've seen in my life. So think of this. Here I've started this new business, right? Um, I don't have a bunch. I don't have a bunch of people help me out at that time because I hadn't yet invested yet mm-hmm. in, into the other people, and I'm like, how am I going to pull this off? And so, um, man, poor people who got the the drug-induced messages from the IVs that their IV drugs they were giving me, but I sent a bunch of messages out to people. I think I'm going to live. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm these really heavy drugs, and uh, but I had this. It took me three months to recover in full. And I had three things I'm going to come out of there. Number one, I'm going to uh, run a marathon. Uh, two, I'm going to start a podcast. And three, I'm going to write a book. And and so the, the Lost to CEO book that we're talking about, that, that is somewhat a result of that event. The podcast, and now we're over 100 episodes, most of podcast. And um, and so it, it's just been amazing that that this has been happening, working and being 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 positive. But it's, you know, here, here once again, everything was cruising going right in this outside event that's non-COVID related hits me and, and drops me, you know, drops me, almost kills sure. me. You know, 50,000 people die a year, by the way, of burst appendix. It's like one of those really weird things that like, you know, nobody knows about, right? In the U.S. alone. Yeah. You know, and and um, I was almost one of those clowns who, who uh, died of it. And um, anyways, made it through. And, but I, but I think it comes back to once again is even getting through that instead of, it wasn't easy, and and um, thank God for my wife who helped take care of me and because it helped get me through that process. But who finally forgive me, by the way, because I had clients. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> good, right? Okay, good. it was not a. By the way, it was not. She was happy the next day. Yes. Okay, it was like after I proved it had a viable business. That's when things finally got better. By the way, those you're thinking that things are just gonna be better because you made a decision. No, no, no. no. You have to validate. You had a real business, mm-hmm. but. That that's that's what happened. That that was the and, and so that's how I capitalized on the finance was reinvesting back in the business, reinvesting in myself, and um, but at the same time too, I'm a believer in profit. So I actually did make profits that year. Okay, I did take home money. I did have a salary, and I'm uh, profit first. Michael McCallowitz, the author of book, the sitting right beside me there. I'm a big believer in, you know, if you aren't running a business that's not profitable, you're just running a hobby. If you're paying yourself equivalent to $2 an hour, if you actually did the, the math, that's not a real business. That's a hobby. Mm-hmm. So you have to build a business to actually think, this is the capitalizing front, think profit first. Mm-hmm. Literally set aside money first. Mm-hmm. That's your profits, mm-hmm. right? Because if you don't do that, what happens is in, in the whole concept of profit first, most people think of revenue minus expenses equals profits. Well, what happens, we, we make our money and then we spend all of it and don't have any money left. Yeah. So we reverse that and make sure we make a certain level of profit, 5 10%, whatever you would need to do, 20 And then we have the rest to spend on expenditures. So we we can live with that. And that changes our mentality. We actually put it in separate bank accounts. 
to help manage the money. Just like the old days, remember the envelopes mm -hmm. that people used to do and they used to put their money in different envelopes, you know, grandma, hey, put your money in here. And you, know, you see those envelopes with the coupons, you know, they'd be pulling out. Okay, that type of mentality is about habits. Sure. And so what we did is we, you know, kind of learned about this process. And, and so we want to make sure that, and we're actually becoming profit first certified ourselves because, you know, I was aware of this concept so we can teach others this because it's such a transformative way of changing the way how you do business. So not only do we, by the way, so that I didn't tell you the other surprising thing, we also do bookkeeping now. We don't advertise it today, Chris, but I guess I'm telling it because I'm saying it here, but, but what we found is it's hard for us to do strategy when people don't know their numbers. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. So so sometimes we actually have to help them out with basic bookkeeping. Sometimes it's just helping them out create real financial statements. And sometimes it's actually doing KPIs for them. But but it's hard for us to run their strategy if the numbers aren't right. And so often what I find is people hire me, they're like, ah, Carl, you're okay at strategy, but we know you know your numbers. You've been doing numbers your whole career. And so that has been some ways of how we've been able to create value for our clients. Once again, we didn't, that's, a, I guess, an example. We didn't plan to do that, but we're just trying to add value to our clients to make a difference. Right. Well, and it's interesting listening to how every, everyone, including you, uh, when they say reinvesting in yourself, like what that means. It, and it, it's mm. totally different for every business. So, you know, obviously, right, you guys are, are very big into um, being charitably inclined, which 10% of revenue, I mean, that is a huge uh, huge. that's huge. My hat goes off to you. Um, and then reinvesting in yourself, you know, we've had, uh, we've talked to YouTube influencers that, um, are health and fitness. So obviously you know what that means. Um, in our industry, like my wife and I have said, Hey, before we recommend a long-term investment, we want to be invested in it first. So that's our different way. Like it's, it's just, it's so fascinating how many avenues there are to the reinvestment, uh, success route in, I'm just curious. So how many people actually work for, for 40 strategy now? So we have a team it's, it's, you know, we're still pretty small right. if that yeah. makes sense. So, so we have, um, four people that are regularly working with us today. And, um, so that's our, our kind of core. I'm still the core strategy person for lack of a better term. Right. right. But, but, um, you know, I have a couple people that help out with the uh, marketing efforts that we do. I have some other people that help out with the bookkeeping that we do. Um, so, so we have a nice team that's built together, and um, it's it's been great. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been really fun. But we're all remote. Um, you know, that's been interesting. It's I tell you, I've I've worked in remote environments way prior to COVID happening, and and it's wonderful that everybody else has figured out how to use Zoom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, because back in the day, I was like, turn your volume on, or you oh, know. Yeah. I don't know how the buttons are. Now most people know how to use it. And so it's it's really been a lot easier to do business than it used to be. But, you know, honestly, I still prefer to be in person with my clients when I can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my teammate knows this and, and people that know me know this. Like, I'm a huge hugger and there's nothing better than just a good old-fashioned hug. Um, now, before we wrap up the episode, because I know time is valuable, there's there's a couple things, in particular your book, which I am ecstatic to read, Lost at CEO, a fun little play on words. Who would you say this book is geared towards and what was the purpose you wanted readers to take away? 
So it's geared towards uh, number one, of course, CEOs. You know, the people at the top, entrepreneurs. I mean, that's that's number one. Two, uh, just general entrepreneurs, executives, and people who are interested in becoming an entrepreneur. You know, and that could be a lot a broad array of people, or interested in becoming into management because it provides a lot of principles. But it's it's written differently. It's more of a fable based type approach. So it's it's a story of a person who meets somebody like me at a coffee shop at the beach and they're trying to do their strategic planning the old-fashioned way and they meet with this quote-unquote consultant who can't completely serve them but then through this process they go through this process of doing it the right way and so it's intended to be this story of the challenges of doing strategic planning and execution and getting insights from this consultant who's like can kind of call them up from time to time of have you considered this have you have thought of this have you gone through this different process because strategic planning is a hypothesis it's not a fact mm-hmm. okay uh, the quick little d-day analogy okay and d-day six months of planning they got into normandy in world war ii arguably the most important modern event, right? Modern warfare event for the freedom of, of most countries today. Mm-hmm. They land in Normandy successfully. But the very next day, they don't know that hedgerows exist. Hedgerows were, for those of you, if you, if you are listening, are big, basically, trees that are overlaying these very narrow paths. And the farming areas had these constructed square, basically, areas where Sherman tanks could not properly go through. The whole plan was for us to take these Sherman tanks from Normandy to Cherbourg, which was the next objective. So they had to completely redesign all their attacking patterns and redesign actually the tanks themselves to refit them to properly be able to attack that terrain. Why I bring this up is because that's what the book is intended to help people understand is as they go through this process of streamlining and execution and learning these right principles is that they're thinking, hopefully everyone's gonna have the experience of thinking for themselves, what would have I have done differently? How would I have solved that? And so hopefully the, the people reading the book are like, solving it for the CEO before they've even figured it out, if that makes sense. And so it's gonna be a really kind of fun book and experience. And by the way, these concepts that we call it the captain strategy method, you can apply it to anything. You can apply it to your personal goals. You can provide it to your not-for-profit goals, your church goals. You can provide it to your company goals. Um, It could be your department goals. It doesn't have to be your own company. But the intent behind there is it's in the eyes of the CEO and how they see it and, and the interactions they're having with the team through the process. So that's the book. We're super excited about it, and um, we hope it's going to make a difference for those who's reading it. Well, and I can tell you I already know it well. And now, uh, what are you pursuing right now that gets you just fired up to, to wake up every day? Like specifics, like what are you doing with your time? Like what products have you purchased to, to help with this pursuit? Give us a take of what the next 12 months are gonna look like for Carl. Well, we gotta start with like the now and it's like, it's go time. So we have a new website that by the time this podcast comes out, we'll go live. Number two, we have um, a book, the book coming out, Lost the CEO. Three, we have a new course that 
you know, most of my clients today, it's, it's individualized type client. We're now going to create group, a group course that's going to be available when this is this uh, podcast is being released. And, and so you can, at a much more affordable cost, you can learn the right way how to do strategic planning execution. But we also, it's, it's an asynchronous course, meaning I'll be teaching it live and, and it'll be a group type session. And then there'll be the opportunity if you want to have additional sessions beyond that. But it's, that's a big thing that I'm really excited about that because that's going to help. So part of our big strategic plan, Chris, is to help us to grow, to double in size again. Well, we need to create a different product, a different solution to the market that so I can scale more. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can't do the same way and different things at different levels. Right. And so now that's how, why we're doing it. And so really for the rest of the year is to help make sure that works. And then, of course, along the way, we're continuing to push our, our podcast. Um, we do one every week. And we are getting some incredible guests um, on there. And, and, and it's just awesome. The connections we make through them and, and we continue to grow. We have, um, it's, it's great. We have a, a woman coming on who, after she had three kids, climbed the top, the highest peaks in all seven mountains. She's from Sweden. Um, and we, have, we have authors. We have CEOs of companies it's it's really powerful and and once again it's it's we're helping people to understand that if they could they could get to where they want to be by seeing their strategy to help them help give people the right lessons so they could succeed in their life as well awesome and i can speak for firsthand it is a fantastic podcast uh i had the privilege of going on it uh, circling way back to the beginning of the episode uh, a little over a year and a half ago and i would do it any day of the week so Carl, thank you so much. Uh, CEO of 40 Strategy, host of the Measure Success podcast and author of the new book, Lost to CEO. You have to go and snag that sucker today. And for those of you that continue to support yours truly, I thank you dearly. If you have any questions about today's episode, you already know the drill. You can either shoot me an email, chris at capitalizeyourfinances.com or give us a call at 253 214-3050. That's 253-214-3050. And I would be more than happy to take that call. If you have any people in mind that you think, hey, they would be fantastic to have on the show, Cap and Capitalize, please get them on. Let us know and we will do this. As always, I'm your host, Chris Ray Paniotu, the Cap and Capitalize. And until next time, keep capitalizing. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. Carl Cox and any other individual or company mentioned in this podcast are not affiliated with Capitalize Your Finances or LPL Financial.